Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. In this text, Joshua chapter 10, you're about to see a rapid succession series of multiple sovereign city-states under the quasi-monarchical rule of military-style kings, and they're all going to fall. They're going to finally face the long-coming wrath of God for their sin, and yet it's to be understood that like Rahab, these residents could have become a part of the people of God. Remember that these city-nation states are not exactly innocent. No one's innocent. These peoples of Canaan practiced a long litany of despicable sexual sins, and this went on for centuries. For 400 years, God had called upon these people to repent. And in their refusal, they would defy the army of the living God when that army is at their doorstep. They would unite against God's move. Rather than submitting to the law of Moses, they would instead wage war against God. Now, God is stacking the deck in his own favor, as is his sovereign prerogative. He's already poured out wrath, even on a global scale at this point in the biblical narrative. We saw this in the flood. He's poured out his wrath even on another individual city as well, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, the instrument by which he pours out his wrath, in this case, in the book of Joshua, is the supernaturally protected army of Israel. Just because these people currently live in Canaan doesn't mean that they are legitimate governments. Prior claim is not everything that we think it is. Because you're there doesn't mean that you're there legitimately. It's because they, because of usurpation, because of conquest and annihilation and mass genocide, that some of these people occupied the spaces that they did. And so they had time and time again opportunity to repent before Yahweh. And yet when Yahweh's army arrived at their door, they would defy Yahweh. So when you see the mass number of casualties here, understand that this is God exercising his ultimate sovereignty. If you want to talk about prior claim, how about a priority that comes even prior to time itself. It is so prior that it is absolute and infinite into negative infinity, negative eternity from our perspective. God is the one who created this land. Talk about a prior claim. God made the dirt that these people are fighting over. And so he is exercising his sovereign prerogative over this land. He has given them centuries to repent. And now his chosen people have arrived at the land that he as the ultimate landlord, if you will, has decided that his people will live here. And there's no earthly government that can withstand that. So here is Joshua chapter 10, verse 28. On that day, Joshua captured Makeda and struck it down with the sword, including its king. He completely destroyed it and everyone in it, leaving no survivors. So he treated the king of Makeda as he had the king of Jericho. So we have numerous cities here, uh, Makeda, Libna, Eglon, Hebron, I think Gezer is in the mix, although they may actually just send uh, an army to uh, Lachish, and Lachish is going to be a big, uh, a big deal. Verse 29, Joshua and all Israel with him crossed from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. The Lord also handed it and its king over to Israel. He struck it down, putting everyone in it to the sword and left no survivors in it. He treated Libna's king as he had the king of Jericho. So Makeda gets the same Jericho treatment. 
Libna gets the same Jericho treatment. Verse 31, from Libna, Joshua and all Israel with him crossed into Lachish. They laid siege to it and attacked it. Now, this city is a big deal because it, within the land of southern Canaan, served as a, as a garrison representing the basically the empire of Egypt. That was Egypt's presence in Canaan. And as you know, uh, if you've studied the Bible for any length of time, or if you were a kid in the 90s and you saw the movie The Prince of Egypt, you know that Israel and Egypt aren't exactly on good terms. In our study of the book of Isaiah, we did see how there is a coming revival and even a reconciliation among Egypt and Assyria, but they are not exactly friendly toward the people of God. So Lachish is a big deal. This is one of the most politically pivotal victories that the uh, that Israel's army experiences in this campaign. Verse 32, the Lord handed Lachish over to Israel and Joshua captured it on the second day. He struck it down, putting everyone in it to the sword, just as he had done to Libna. At that time, King Horam of Gezer went up, uh, went to help Lachish, but Joshua struck him down along with his people, leaving no survivors. Then Joshua crossed from Lachish to Eglon and all Israel with him. They laid siege to it and attacked it. On that day, they captured it and struck it down, putting everyone in it to the sword. He completely destroyed it that day, just as he had done to Lachish. Next, this is verse 36, Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They captured it and struck down its king, all its villages, and everyone in it with the sword. He left no survivors, just as he had done at Eglon. He completely destroyed Hebron and everyone in it. So we have numerous uh, little quasi-monarchical uh, sovereign city nation states, if you will, uh, Makeda, Libna, Lachish, uh, Gezer sends a representative, um, Eglon, and uh, Hebron. And they all they all get just completely destroyed. Now, this within like the, the secret era of churches would have been totally overlooked. And, and you're, you're not going to hear this passage taught in, in churches that don't exposit the whole counsel of God because they're embarrassed of it. But here at JCM at the Redemption Church, what we hope is that we exposit the whole word of God verse by verse. If these verses from Joshua chapter 10 offend you, would you consider how your umbrage with the Word of God is not an argument against its legitimacy? Meaning, if you choose, on the basis of the events of this text, not to believe in God, what you've just stated in reductio ad absurditum is, I don't like that, therefore it's not true. A distaste for something doesn't disprove its truth. You can dislike the outcome of a mathematical equation, and it's completely irrelevant. What I would encourage you to do is consider that this is real, that God really did this, that your umbrage you take with the text is based on a misconception of who God is, that your view of God before this text was some toothless caricature of God who doesn't pour out wrath on sin, who doesn't actually ever do anything harsh to anyone, including even the people of Canaan, who would burn their children alive, whose sexual crimes were rampant. Instead, 
God does everything he says he will do. He does not make idle threats. Moreover, you and I, as sinners, have a lot in common with these people. It is fully within God's rights to take me out for my sin before I knew Jesus. And it's totally God's prerogative to exercise his cosmic justice upon you for your sin too. You and I are just like the people of Canaan. Every time God pours out his wrath in the Old Testament, he always makes a way. There's always this way of grace in the midst of the massive outpouring. Rahab is the only one named so far. What we've just seen is a rampant list, you know, over the course of a few days uh, of multiple cities that were all taken. But Rahab is an example of the way of grace, even as God pours out his wrath. You and I, like Rahab, are in the crosshairs of the wrath of God. And like Rahab, we have sin in our lives. But like Rahab, we can be assimilated into the people of God. As New Testament believers, the way that happens is with the confession, the truth. Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10 lays out Old Testament salvation and New Testament salvation. In the Old Testament, in the days of Rahab, during the events concurrent with this text, this conquest of multiple Canaanite cities, people were saved, if you will, by adherence to the law of Moses. And now today in the New Testament, we're saved by faith in Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God to which you and I are both due because of sin in our lives. So what is the way of grace for us? It is confession of the truth that Jesus is Lord. God still feels the same way today that he did in the book of Joshua about sin. And it's not that we can look at the people of Canaan and say that they were way more sinful than we are. God takes sin very seriously. Would you confess today that Jesus is Lord? Would you take the way of grace as the Holy Spirit of God draws upon your heart? Would you, like Rahab, be saved from the wrath of God?